Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we're not going to be sharing an overview of a specific job, which is what we do in most of our episodes. Instead, we'll be speaking with someone about what they do to excel at their job. So we'll be speaking with a product manager in tech. His name is Nikem Nwankwo, and he is a senior product manager with Better Cloud, a Series E funded startup. And Nikem has quite a few years of experience as a product manager. And in today's episode, he's going to be sharing his thoughts on what he does to do a good job as a PM. And I think today's discussion is going to be very interesting for anyone who is interested in tech and specifically in product management, because listening to someone talk about what they do to do a good job gives a very good idea about what the job itself is like and the kind of things that are really important in that job. So I hope you like it in terms of Nikem's background. He has a bachelor's in computer science and engineering from Georgia Tech, and he also has an MBA from Ross School of Business, Michigan University. Uh, so yes, let's get into the discussion with Nikem. But a quick note, if you find LED helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, do share it with your friends and colleagues. And also share your feedback with us. We would love to hear from you and you can share your feedback with us in a number of ways. You can leave a review. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whichever app you're using to listen to podcasts. You can also drop us an email at hello at learneducatediscover.com or you can tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. All right, with that, let's now listen to Nikem. Hey, Sonali. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no problem. Yeah, so uh, let's first talk about your recent round of funding. So you guys raised another Series E round of funding in just the last few weeks, correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, congratulations. How does that feel? It feels excellent, actually. So it's really a validation of our story thus far the value that we show our customers and that we're giving our customers daily. So investors saw that and it's really a big, like I said before, validation for us to prove out that we are fulfilling everything that our prospective customers need. So we're really happy about it. And now it's really time to prove ourselves going forward. Yeah, yeah. And when you joined Better Cloud, at that time, was it a Series D startup? Yeah, so it was a Series D, and we had, I would say, 120 employees. I was probably number 120. We're up to, I believe, 180 now. So mm -hmm. in the past year, I've seen us grow 60 um, heads, basically. And we have plans to grow much larger than that in the next year. So it's going to be interesting moving forward to see how things advance and how you actually scale up a company from the size we are now to adding, let's say, 50 to 100 people more. Got it, got it. Yeah, so this is actually very, very helpful context because like I mentioned in the introduction, we are going to be talking about what you do to excel as a PM and your guidance that you're going to be sharing in this episode. It's very much focused on your experience as a PM at a high growth startup, right? So your experience could differ from, let's say, someone who works at a very large, well-established company or uh, someone who, let's say, is working in a five-people startup, right? So your experience is unique to someone who is going to be in a CDCDE kind of company. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. And how big is the PM team, by the way, right now? So the PM team, we are five, I believe, and we have a director of product management. Oh, wow. So just five. And so each PM is usually working with how many engineers? So the, the way our structure is assembled is actually a little interesting. So we have a product manager and a product owner for my team specifically. And as a product manager, 
we have, I'm paired with maybe 26 engineers, and that could be anywhere from QAs to developers to team leads and architects. And then there's an engineering manager. And then I also have a product owner that I work with uh, that helps with more of the tactical issues that we face day to day. And I do the strategic vision for my teams. Oh, that's interesting. So what's the difference between the product owner and the product manager? Uh, Like I said, as a PM, I handle the strategic mission. So that is looking months to a year out in the future, talking to customers, really doing financial evaluations on whether we should do this versus this, Mm -hmm. getting customer feedback and all of that, all of those things to make sure that we're on the right path. And then the product owner does the sprint by sprint work as far as establishing the team velocity and making sure that they understand what we're actually delivering so it's valuable to customers. So it's really tactical versus strategic. Interesting, interesting. So is, is, do you see this distinction in, in a lot of companies? So this is actually the first time that I've actually faced this type of organization. Before, I've always worked in companies that had multiple products, right? Hmm. So with multiple products, you would have one product owner who's over that product and he or she does both the strategic and tactical focus. And I've always thought in these previous companies that it's really tough to balance those two out, right? And I felt many times that I wasn't doing both to their maximum capability. So this was an interesting change so I can go all the way 100% focus on strategic and the product owner can do 100% tactical. So I think it's an interesting split. So there's actually pluses and minuses to both of these approaches to the job, right? The pluses is that, yeah, I can do uh, 100% focus and my product owner can do 100% focus on her stuff. Whereas the minus on my side is that there's sometimes that we might step on each other's toes. You know, you have to make a defined line between both of our responsibilities. And that's going to vary from person to person, people's working styles. So that's kind of a, you know, a soft skill that you have to manage as if you're going to work in this manner. That's a good point. But this is an interesting distinction for people to learn about. Do you find the product owner title called by any other names, perhaps in other companies? So sometimes it's going to be called a business analyst. So it's actually interesting that I bring that up because whenever you put job postings out for a product owner, product manager position, I would say a good 50% of the applications that come in are for a business analyst, right? Because the job function that you're actually doing is very similar to a product owner if you are focused on the customer, right? So you can definitely see that transition point there. So you might call somebody a business analyst somewhere else. It could be a product owner as well um, in another company. It could be a product manager. And those are the three positions that I would say that I see the most overlap as far as what they're called. A product marketing manager, that's more on the marketing side. So I don't really see product marketing managers doing exactly what a product owner does. Hmm. But you'll see it from the business analyst, the product manager, the product owner, and the technical product manager, technical product owner positions. That's usually what I see them called. Got it. Got it. Okay. So this is super helpful. Thank you. So before we get into what you do to excel as a PM, it'll also be helpful if you can give us a quick snapshot of your career path. Like just tell us a little bit about your background and the various things, the key positions you've held on your way to now your position at Better Cloud. Yeah. So I guess I'll start it right Early from the beginning, so it'll give a good aspect of how I actually got here, right? So I'm from Miami, grew up really interested in technology. My dad used to bring me to his office, right, you know, for bring your kids to work day. And I used to play on the computer. I always wondered, how do you go from, you know, circuits that you see to what you see on the computer screen, right? So with that said, I very early in my life, decided that I wanted wanted to become a computer engineer, right? So with that said, I went on to Georgia Tech and I majored in computer engineering. The thing is that I did not know at all, you know, 
the intricacies of computer engineering. So that was definitely a struggle for me through school. Managed to get out, though. You know, I graduated with a bachelor's in computer engineering from Georgia Tech. And then I went on to work in my first job outside of school at John Deere. So I, was a, I started off as a software engineer, actually. So working in embedded systems for combines, right? So I did that for about a year and a half. And during that year and a half, my team turned over and my product owner actually got promoted to another position. My boss asked me, hey, do you want to sub in for a little while till we hire somebody into this position? I said, this might give me some more exposure, right? So I decided to do it until they can get somebody to fill it. And then two weeks later, he said, you're doing such a good job. Go ahead and uh, take the position. So I took the position. And while I was a product owner at John Deere, I started to ask more financial questions, started to ask strategy questions. I really honestly felt that when you're in a company that large, there's not much influence that you can have on decisions that flow down from the hierarchy, right? So I decided, why don't I go back to business school to figure out how do I get into positions where I can make decisions that make sense strategically for software teams, right? So that was my initial motivation to go to business school. I learned the finance, I learned marketing, I learned consulting and all these different roles from my peers, right? And I actually came back to the conclusion that at my heart of hearts, I am an engineer and I love being an engineering. I love technology. And what is the closest post-MBA role to technology? It's product management, right? So I just went right back to product management where I interned over the summer at Sling TV, Sling Media. And then I went ahead and I worked at this company called Microsystems after school. I was a product manager there, a few products there, did that for two years. And now I'm at Better Cloud, where I'm a senior product manager here. So I've been doing this for a few years now. And really throughout this whole process, I've kept the whole idea of being of loving technology and wanting to solve problems for people. And that's really what attracted me to this role. So that's what brings me here. Awesome. Thank you so much for that very detailed background. And it sounds like you have pretty much been working in technology and been fascinated with technology throughout. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Nikim. So let's talk about what you do to excel as a PM. If you were to think about like top three to five categories of things that you do to really excel at your job, what do you think they would be? What I would say is that one is to prioritize pretty ruthlessly. Make sure that your priorities are set in order. Next thing is time management as well. That's very important too. Uh, After that, I would say it's people management as well. And I guess lastly, thing that I would say is personal management as far as your time outside of work and making sure that you're focused. So I think those things make me a good product manager from a holistic perspective. Oh, that, so that's a good list. So you said four things. One is that you want to be making sure that you're prioritizing ruthlessly. Uh, second, you want to t- manage your time well. Third, uh, you need to be able to managing people well. And I'm guessing you're referring to your stakeholders. And then mm-hmm. fourth, you want to manage just your, like your personal health well, I guess. So, so that, let's start with the first one. When you say prioritize ruthlessly, can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So at work, throughout all of my jobs, I've always kept a whiteboard with my priority list on it. It's basically like a Kanban board, right, with Mm -hmm. different items that I want to get done on there. And I'll put, whenever I get something new, I'll put something out there. So the reason that I use a whiteboard is because for me personally, it makes things more tangible. And it's always in front of me at my desk. So it's, it shouts that I have to do this, right? In addition to that, wiping stuff off the board gives me positive feedback in my head to motivate me to keep going on and doing the right thing. But probably the most important thing out of all of this is that a whiteboard is a limited space, right? So there's only a, num- a short number of things that I actually can put on there. If I was doing this in a Google Doc, for example, a Google Doc can go on endlessly. Hmm. With a whiteboard, I only have this short amount of space over here. So I can only put the most important things 
for that day, for that week on there, so I can tackle those out. I'm always trying to go for the 80-20 as far as being effective. So the whiteboard really helps me prioritize that. And that's so important from a product management perspective, because as a product manager, you're going to want to do everything. We're ambitious people. That's why we were put in this position, but we cannot do everything. And the company does not want you to do everything. They want you to do what's most important for your customers and for the company financially and strategically, right? So the whiteboard keeps me focused in that respect. That's a good point. I would also like to get your thoughts on why do you think being able to prioritize is an important thing for a PM? Yeah, so it's extremely important for a product manager because you're going to get requests from your engineering team, from marketing, from customers, from support, from finance, from the exec team. You're going to get so many requests from everywhere. You're going to be 100% just overwhelmed if you're listening to everything all the time, right? So what you have to do mentally and physically is to have systems that triage all of these requests that are coming in from different sources and different stakeholders so you can focus on what's most important, what's critical, right? Especially in a startup, we have a limited runway as far as the money that we have, right? So it's best that we use that money for the most critical, most impactful efforts and features. So for me, the business looks at me to be that person to say, we are going to do this. And sorry, guys, we cannot do this other thing over here because this other feature or this other effort is going to be more impactful for the business. And they'll congratulate me on it later and they'll thank me for it later because I'm steering them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. If I'm not prioritizing, I have way too many things on my plate, I'm going to get analysis paralysis, the business is going to get confused, and we're not going to be focused on our mission for the month, the quarter, the year. Yeah, okay. No, that's helpful, because that helps illustrate why prioritization is so key for this job, because you are the person who is at the end of the day responsible for the product. And so you are inundated with a lot of requests from stakeholders across the board. So That was your point about how you like to prioritize ruthlessly and that makes you effective at your job. The next thing you mentioned was time management. So what do you do to manage your time better? So I I do a a few funny things to manage my time, actually. (laughs) So first of all, I probably get to work two to three hours before my engineering teams do, right? And the reason I do that is because a product manager as a job function, it's all about getting people together to make the right decisions. And usually that's going to come in the form of meetings, people coming to your desk, asking you questions, you having to respond to people, whether it be through uh, your messaging platform like Slack or email or whatever. People are interrupting you from nine to five consistently, right? So to get effective work done, that deep work, that strategic work that requires you to focus, I get there earlier, so nobody's there to bother me. I can hammer out work. And by the time 9 at Better Cloud, by the time 9.30 rolls around and the engineering teams teams are here, I don't have to feel guilty that I didn't get this work done because I knocked out a bunch before they left. And if I didn't get there early, I'm going to stay a little bit later after to knock it out then. And also... If I wanted to, I can leave work a little bit earlier because I got my work done earlier in the day rather than later. So that's one of the ways that I actually focus my time. The other one is to actually skip meetings. So this is actually a pretty funny one. So what I'll actually do if somebody invites me to a meeting that I don't feel like I'll have input in or I don't think that they actually need need me, I will just not attend the meeting. And they can always ping me to come in and answer a question, right? But I'll not attend the meeting and see what happens. If I don't get any ping, that means that I'm not even supposed to be on this meeting and they know not to invite me anymore. And I kind of run a, you know, take action now and ask for forgiveness later. And I haven't gotten in too much trouble for that yet. So I'm going to keep on doing it throughout my career. And 
it's really helped me because if I don't respect my time, nobody else is going to respect my time. I have a lot of things to do during the day. So it's up to me to be as cautious and guardful as my time as possible. This is awesome. So I, I, I do have a couple of follow-up questions. So you mentioned two things that you do to manage your time better. One is that because you have so many people asking you questions all the time while you're at work, you feel that it's important for you to carve out some time for deep work. And so to do that, you usually come to the office a few hours before everyone else comes. And the second thing you mentioned is that you just don't go for meetings unless and until someone explicitly asks you to come, which is super funny. So what's the percentage of time when you didn't go and then people actually ended up asking you to come there, roughly speaking? Honestly, it's probably maybe 10 to 20 percent. So either one out of 10 meetings or one out of five meetings, I actually get called back. One thing about corporate America, whether that's a startup or a big corporation, they love meetings. Mm. They love to get people together to have a group consensus on something when honestly getting work done is probably what's most important for your organization, right? And you can answer a lot of these questions easily through instant messaging and all of that. Or you can just walk up to somebody's desk and you don't need to take everybody else's time in that meeting. What people don't realize is that meetings are very, very expensive. Think of everybody's salary that's sitting there, right? So if you have people who are not contributing, they can contribute by doing their work um, in a focused manner. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very good insight that you brought. And do you, like, let's say you did not do that. Let's say you did not follow that rule. How many meetings would you go for in a typical day? I would literally be in meetings from 9 to probably 12.30. I'd have a break at 12.30 to 1, and then I'd have meetings from 1 to 5, sometimes 5.30. So I would probably only have 30 minutes to myself. Mm-hmm. So And these are like all 30-minute to one-hour long meetings. Yeah. So usually our meetings are 30 minutes to an hour. Sometimes you'll have a bigger one because it's a huge initiative or something like that. Yeah. 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 And so with this rule now, how many meetings do you do in a typical day? So I'm, I'm probably in an average of three to four meetings and that spans anywhere from maybe like three hours a day, hmm. which is for product manager. That's really good. Yeah, that's awesome. If you're if you're getting by and doing well with just three hours of meetings a day, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure this is a good rule that a lot of non-PMs can also adopt. So Absolutely. All right. So this was your time management piece. The third thing you mentioned was that you try and do things to better manage your stakeholders. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So one of the things that I do when I first join a company, I learned this through business school, the soft skills, right? is when I'm in a meeting and, you know, everybody invites you to a bunch of meetings when you're first getting onboarded to get a feel of what everybody does. I take notes not only on the content of the meeting to actually learn, but I'll take notes on people's interactions as well. So what I'm really mapping out there is the informal networks between people because somebody might be someone else's manager, but you don't know that this colleague that's not even related to this job function over here is actually the one that's influencing the manager, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a big informal web that is not on any org chart that you have to decipher to be able to move efficiently throughout your organization, right? So for example, if I want to influence my CEO, right? Some things that I might do is take notes on who he actually values as far as opinion and know that I have to convince this person first to actually get the CEO to get on board with my thoughts and my opinions and Mm -hmm. the data that I present him with, right? And that really helps as far as interacting with stakeholders because now I feel like the ball is more in my court. I have more power over the things that I want to do because I know how to get those people to align with uh, what I'm thinking. And being able to influence people and having the power to actually change people's opinions 
is so important as a product manager. So I feel like this is one of the most important things that I got from my business school education. So this is a very, very interesting point. And I'm curious to hear about, you know, maybe you can share some examples about the kind of things that you look for, which give you these hints that, oh, you know, maybe there's some kind of a influencer relationship that this person has with someone else. Yeah, I, I can give you a, an example from one of the consulting projects that I had in business school, mm. because you learn these things in class and you, you know, you say, all right, that sounds good, you know, but when am I ever going to use this? Then we did a consulting project, right? And, you know, in a consulting project, it's only a few months or weeks even, and you have a short time to actually influence people, right? So while we were there, we were trying to get a certain stakeholder to believe in our marketing message, our realignment as far as updating the nature of their website and some of their marketing, right? So we were making this pitch and we weren't really getting through what I actually realized after, and this was after the fact, right? Um, if we had maybe a week left in our project that this stakeholder always listens to one of her colleagues in another department, all right? And once we actually showed it to the colleague in the other department and she loved the idea, she actually went over to the stakeholder who we were trying to influence his office and said, hey, these the intern consultants, they have this really good idea. I think we should run with it, right? And then that completely won her over. And we could have saved literally four weeks of struggle trying to figure out what this person wanted if we had just gone straight to the influencer. So that was like the epitome of it. So, And that came so soon after that class that I've been doing it ever since, mm -hmm. and it's been working out for me very well. That's a really interesting example. And was there something which helped you figure out that, oh, this this is the person that my stakeholders seems to value his or her opinion a lot? Like, did you just see them in some meeting and you figured that out? Or what gave you that idea? So it was a meeting where we presented the idea and the person actually asked what so-and-so thought of this and have you ran it past her? Maybe you should run it past her and see what, see what she thinks. And that was the prompting in my head. It was like a light bulb that just went off. And that's when I keyed in on it. Okay. And so now in your work, you mentioned that you, now you keep track of these informal networks all the time. So mm -hmm. are you actually sort of writing stuff down on a piece of paper like how, or is it just in your head? I will literally write it down on a piece of paper. Now, luckily, Better Cloud is a small enough organization. I won't even say a small enough organization because there's politics in any organization, but it's a organization that practices, I'll say, radical candor and just being upfront in that there's not a big, I guess, group consensus uh, politics game that has to go on between the employees. You can many times just say what you feel and get that across and uh, express your opinion. So it's not a, as big of a deal over here as I've had in other companies. But I still do have taken notes on that my first day. And I just keep it in my head after that. I can still refer back to my notes. But Better Cloud is pretty straightforward. So it's not as embedded over here. Mm -hmm. But yes, I do literally take notes on these things. <laughs> Something like, oh, it looks like. Samantha listens a lot to Paula and yeah that's exactly what I do in my <laughs> previous job right before this one about a year in I revealed to my manager what I do and I showed him my notes and he he said wow that is 100% correct so wow. I'm taking good notes <laughs> awesome awesome you know what you should send us a copy of your notes but you probably don't want to <laughs> share it publicly to <laughs> yeah. yeah okay so this was one thing that you do to manage your stakeholders better, just get a better understanding of the informal networks that exist in your organization. Do you do anything else? Um, yeah, so one of the biggest things that you want to do is communicate effectively, communicate often, communicate soon. A quote that I love to repeat and love to cite is, bad news should move faster in an organization than good news, right? Because if bad news is moving faster, that means that people aren't afraid to raise the flag and 
explain that an issue is going on, we need all hands on deck, right? So what I do, you know, whenever there's a problem, if you see something, say something about it. Let's raise this. Let's try to get a solution around it because things can only build up from there. So because we have that kind of culture over here and I have that, uh, I guess, culture about myself, right? People are never blindsided with issues. So they trust me a little bit more mm. as far as um, when I say that there's we're ready to roll out and there's no issues here. So that is, I think, is another huge point as far as managing your stakeholders because it builds trust and it makes sure that you, ha- you have the best product and you're not withholding information from people. So I think that's another good one. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That's a very good idea that like over communication is better than under communication, especially when it comes to issues or any kind of bad news because you need everyone to be aware of what's going on. Can you share an example of when something like that has been very helpful? So, I mean, honestly, is it's an everyday thing in my current job. So we have a status meeting three times a week. It's a pretty short status meeting, though, where we just go go around. It's kind of like a stand-up, and we talk about the things that our teams are currently doing, whether we're facing any issues and all of that, right? Usually, in either in that meeting or in the actual engineering team stand-up, if there is an issue, somebody will raise that issue, right? And specifically in this organization, I'm not going to give you like the specific technical details, but a lot of times the issue will come up from the engineering team. The engineering team will tell the architect on it, and then the architect will communicate to us as a product team, right? Mm-hmm. When the architect communicates to us as a product team, then we go ahead and talk to the other product managers that this might affect. So then we can have what we call either a war room or a quick meeting and get all of the stakeholders in that meeting so we can resolve that as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So, and this happens at least once a week uh, at Better Cloud. So I really love the fact that we're open with communication in that sense. What are, what are some examples of the kind of bad things that happen in the life of a product manager? Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. So bad things that can happen, for example, I'll give you a, a big one. So for us, every day we communicate with APIs where our product is built on other products, APIs, right? Bad things that can happen is when the documentation of another product's API that we actually connect to does not match the actual behavior, right? And that means that we can't get the information that we wanted to get. And then the end uh, product result will not satisfy what the user was actually expecting. So with that said, that happens all the time. Anybody who deals with APIs knows that it's a pain in the butt to deal with that kind of stuff because documentation, it gets out of date as soon as somebody writes a new line of code, right? So you can't expect the documentation always to be kept up to date. So that's one of the uh, one of the bad things that can happen. That's a industry specific mm-hmm. one. But other than that, bad things that can happen, you know, if you have kind of like a group consensus structure, maybe product structure or organization structure and nobody owns a specific process, then things can get lost between the cracks between maybe two product teams or two engineering teams. That's another big one that happens a lot in product teams that have to depend on each other. If nobody owns that connection Hmm. between the two teams, sometimes you're playing a game of telephone and you can drop the communication contracts or the engineering contract between the two teams and you run up to a deadline where the product isn't working as expected because nobody picked up that miscommunication between the two teams. Right, right, right. No, that's helpful because, again, it illustrates the kind of things that you're trying to tackle on an ongoing basis. Okay, so stakeholder management. I think you've covered everything you wanted to cover. Was there anything else under stakeholder management? I think that's it. Okay. So then the last one was just managing your own personal life and health a little bit better. Or or rather, let's not say health, but your own personal effectiveness at the job. So what do you do over there? Yeah, so I think 
one of the first things that pops into my head is that I try to work out, you know, three to four times a week. These days it's like five times a week. Mm -hmm. I actually box. I've been boxing for a few months now and I really like it. And honestly, from a tech perspective, from a product management perspective, from a startup perspective, a lot of us in these industries and these companies, we burn ourselves out, right? We burn ourselves out from overworking. And when you get burnt out and all you think about is your product or how you're going to solve this problem, you become less effective from when you're just staring at these problems 24-7, right? And you, you might not have the solution to that. So with that said, what exercise does for me, it allows me to focus my mind on something else. It'll clear it. It's kind of like a meditative a process for me. And that just means I'll either come to a solution for the problems that I was having at work while I'm actually doing it. It might just cross my mind and say, hey, this is actually how I'm supposed to solve this. Or when I get back to it, it's like I'm a new person. I have a fresh mind and it's a new set of eyes actually looking at this problem. And I'll have this solution instantly when I sit down because I've cleared my mind through exercise. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to keep your health up because it keeps your mind sharp and it helps you clear the stress from the day so you can work more effectively. Yeah, I mean, workout is so, so helpful. Do you have to consciously carve time out every day? Yes, um, if you don't carve time out, you're not going to do it. That which does not get measured, does not get improved, and does not get done. So I have to carve time out for it. Yeah, okay. So I'm guessing it's not in the morning because that's your deep work time. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, the way that I work is, let me give you a little bit of hierarchy or um, overview of Atlanta, rather. So Atlanta traffic is crazy. <laughs> so if I go to the gym after work, which is just down the street from my office, then I'll come to work really early in the morning. That's the two to three hours before the rest of the team gets in to skip traffic. I really try to be protective of my time, right? And that's another thing little side note over here, people underestimate the amount of wear and tear your commute back and forth from work actually puts on you. It's such a stress builder and that will make you less effective as well. So I am mm -hmm. not going to drive when there's a high amount of traffic. So I leave very early in the morning and get my work done so I can go to the gym after and go home when the traffic has died down. Now, if I'm not going to work out after work, then I actually work out in the morning. I still wake up early, work out in the morning, and I take the train to work instead so I can listen to podcasts or read and I can, you know, continue my learning there. And I'm not actively driving because driving puts stress on you and that drains your your stamina, your mental stamina for the day and it makes you less effective at work as well. So all of those things together I think I manage my time very well and that helps me be more effective in my job. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. What else do you do to, to be uh, personally effective on the job? So another thing that I do, like I mentioned, I read a lot of books. Hmm. I read books on, I, I think I purely read nonfiction, you know, technical or business books about different processes, um, different ways to think about things. Or I'll read something about history to kind of switch it up a little bit. So I, I read books. I read a lot of blogs as well, you know, Stratechery. I read a lot of Quora related to tech uh, subjects. I'm on different newsletters, product newsletters, like uh, Product Management Headquarters. I just have a bunch of resources. And I love podcasts because I can listen to that passively. And, you know, it doesn't really stress you out too much and it's not that much focus, but you can get so much, so many different gems from just listening to them. I listen to podcasts from business strategy to tech strategy to, you know, social issues as well. So I just try to keep myself in, informed as possible. So that actually helps a lot during uh, my job as well, because I now bring these examples that I've either read or heard, and I can bring them into the workplace and bring a new frame of mind when, whenever we're debating whether we should do something or not. Yeah. What are, what are five, if you were to pick five resources that you would like to recommend, whether it's a book or a podcast or a newsletter or something else, 
what would they be for for, for someone who is either looking to become a PM or is a PM? Yeah, so the ones that I would uh, recommend for those who are looking to become a PM, I always recommend Cracking the PM Interview. It's a great book that will help you interview as well as gives you a framework from which to work as a PM. So that's that's an awesome book. I really like the classic Innovator's Dilemma. Talks about disruption, all of that. I do like uh, the Lean Startup as well by Eric Reese. So these are all, you know, classic PM books that I've learned from. Inspired by Marty Kagan is actually the best PM book that I've read. I think he's a, he has so much insight. He's a very experienced product management leader. So I would definitely take his word very strongly. Uh, in addition to that, blogs that I read, I read a blog by Ben Thompson called Stratechery. Gives me insights into what's going on in different areas of the market and yeah, it's Stratechery, Ben Thompson, he's a dude that went to business school. I think he went to Northwestern and he was heavy in tech. So he brings the business school analysis standpoint to technology, which was that was an empty space before. So that really makes gets me into thinking about our strategy, right? That, as far as, you know, a tech product. So that's an awesome resource. And then finally, I'll say, there's this group called Product Management Headquarters. I think it's the URL might be productmanagementhq.com. They have a Slack group where people are constantly posting articles. I think the community is thousands now. It's a bunch of dialogue as far as different tech topics and different product management topics on there. And people share resources all the time. It's good for finding jobs too. So I highly recommend that. Get on the Slack group because those are your people. Those are the people that you want to learn from. So I definitely check that out as well. That's an awesome list. Thank you. Is the Slack group open to everyone or how do you get on the Slack community? So you really just got to go on the website and ask to um, jump on. I will caveat it with it's a $25 lifetime subscription, but mm -hmm. it's $25 for your lifetime. And I've gotten way more than $25 worth of value from it. So I'd highly recommend it. Awesome. Okay. All right. So you, so you do a lot of reading and learning all the time. Do you also try and learn about, you mentioned that you try and also listen to tech podcasts or reading tech books. So can you share some examples of the kind of tech focused things? So not necessarily strategy, but what do you mean by like a tech podcast or tech book? So uh, some of the podcasts that I listen to, I, <laughs> it's kind of funny because you're, you're bringing out the nerd in me now. So I listened to this podcast called This Week in Enterprise Tech, mm -hmm. and that's because I'm specifically an enterprise tech PM. So I listen to what's going on in the market, just in different enterprise products, security, all of that. If you're not heavy, heavy, heavy into tech, you might find it, you know, a little dry here and there, and some of the subjects might fly over your head. But I personally like it. Mm -hmm. So that's um, one of the ones I listen to weekly. In addition to that, I listen to This Week in Startups by Jason Calacanis. It really talks about the different movements that are going on as far as the different trends, you know, in Silicon Valley and what different startups are working on and what was their, what's their focus, how the tech actually works. And it really teaches you how to pitch, too. Actually, that's a good point. This Week in Startups, if you... They always have episodes on different startup investors, actually, uh, not investors, sorry, startup founders pitching as well. And then they'll give them critiques on how they pitch. Mm. Pitching from a founder perspective and pitching as a product manager is very similar. If you're starting with a new idea that's going to cost money, you have to convince your CEO or whoever has the purse strings to actually focus on this, right? So you should learn how to pitch your ideas. And like I said before, being able to influence people is one of the most important things that you can do in products. Definitely learn how to communicate effectively and make yeah. fast, crisp pitches because that helps you out with that. And I listen to This Week in Startups for that kind of stuff. Um, other than that, I used to listen to... Oh, I listen to Exponent as well. So Exponent is... Ben Thompson, who's the author of Stratechery, mm -hmm. he also talks about these topics as well. 
with one of his colleagues or former colleagues, and he'll, they'll go back and forth and debate things. And I, that gives me so much insight from a tech aspect. So, yeah, yeah. those are some of the tech podcasts I listen to. No, this is really good. And I think it clearly calls out how, as a PM, for you to continue to do well as a PM at your job, you have to stay abreast with whatever is happening in tech. And clearly you're interested, which is great. So you're listening to all of these podcasts, which, you know, it's these are not sort of your mass podcasts that each and every person is going to enjoy. But mm-hmm. if you're really interested in tech, these things can really help you stay aware of, you know, what's going on, what's the latest, and that helps you design better products, I guess. All right. Uh, so anything else to improve your personal effectiveness? One thing, and... This isn't really related to job everyday work, but it tangentially is. Anytime I get a question about product, how to be a product manager, how to get into tech, or if it's a business school question, I actually wrote a book about whether going to business school was worth it or not. Mm. Um, So people ask me questions about that too. Whenever I get any of those questions, I will always answer them. Always, always, always. Reason why is because people helped me get to where I'm at in my position right now. So I feel the duty to, I feel obligated that I need to help, you know, the next generation, everybody else, you know, get into this awesome field that I'm in, right? And that makes me effective because it helps me better tell my story, you know, my everyday hey, this is where I got to where I am, which helps, you know, it can help you in interviews, it can help you in presentations, that sort of thing. But also what it does is that, honestly, you don't know who you're helping. They could be the next, for example, Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos, you know? They could be the next person coming up. Those people will always remember how you help them out. And I believe in, you know, karma um, and that things will come, good comes back to you when you give good, right? That's actually how we started talking, right? Because I helped someone who you knew and he referred me to you, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's, it, that's just shows, goes to show you that, you know, if you take steps to help people other than yourself, then good things will always happen to you later. So I encourage everybody that if you have the privilege of getting to where you are at, Pay it, pay it forward, you know, help other people out. Yeah, no, I mean, that is awesome advice, which like you said, this everyone should be following this advice, not just someone trying to become a PM. So this, this is awesome, Nikem. Thank you so much, because this gives a really good idea about what a PM does in a very different way, right? Like, because you're talking about things you have to do to do better at your job, it gives a good idea about what the job itself is like. So mm-hmm. thank you so much. I also want to talk about a couple of things, just about the job itself and some of the things that you might have seen in your experience so far. So one thing is, uh, so a lot of the listeners of this podcast are either current MBAs or recent MBAs or maybe soon-to-be MBAs. And since you have a business school background yourself, do you find business school candidates in particular making any common mistakes as far as thinking about the product management role is concerned and recruiting for it? <laughs> You're asking the tough questions. Should I just give it to you straight? Yes, you should. <laughs> so, honestly, I hate a lot of my counterparts and a lot of business school students' approach to actually getting into product management, at least when I was in school, right? It was something that was secondary to them. Tech was, you know, if I don't get this consulting job, let me go ahead and become a product manager, right? Now, that's going to work for certain companies that hire, you know, a lot of a lot of product managers out and they'll they'll just teach you and all of that. But if you're trying to work for a tech focused startup that is just trying to survive and that is looking for somebody to have a big impact on their organization, they are not going to hire somebody who's just halfway doing it, right? Mm. If you're going to do tech, if you're going to do product management, go all the way, right? And that shows when you interview them, they'll give general answers. They won't have examples of how they worked on a side project. They won't have examples of how they did consulting for this tech company over here because you just love technology or how you learned how to code a little bit 
or write scripts and all of that. They'll just say, hey, I'm interested in tech and I know a little bit about strategy, strategy, hire me. That is absolutely not the way to go. And I've interviewed a lot of those types. I've rejected a lot of those types as well, right? Because you want somebody who's all the way in it. And talk to any business school product manager, any product manager, and they, anyone that interviews, they've come across this countless times, right? And you can't just walk into a product management product manager job, right? You have to live it. So treat it with respect. You are one of the most important positions in the company. If it's a product company, it's one of the most important positions in the company. Would you as a CEO give it to somebody who thinks of this as an afterthought? Ask yourself that. That's that's a, I'm so happy that you gave it to all of us straight. So can you share examples of how you as an interviewer interviewer figure that out that oh you know this person is not really serious mm-hmm. yeah i mean you could tell when you ask somebody to design something if it's on the spot right and they just take you through the high level you know standard product management that you you can read on a website and this is what you do you do this here you do this there then you do this that sort of thing mm-hmm. that's a, one of the key indicators off the bat mm-hmm. the other one is that if they do not know the company well enough that they're interviewing for, right? If you haven't read the white papers on the website, if you haven't seen who their customer list is, when you come and you interview for a product manager position, I'm expecting you to be at close to my level. And I personally think I'm a pretty decent product manager. So if you are coming in there and when I interviewed for Better Cloud, for example, I read all of their white papers. I talked to different IT people to ask them if they've actually used the product. And I tried to understand what their pain points were and, and things like that. And I went through their marketing material um, and, you know, just talked to a few people. So I did a bunch of research coming in before I actually interviewed. And when they interviewed me, I remember my manager now, he actually made the comment wow, you did your research. And I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm interviewing. And he says back to me, well, you'd be surprised at how many people come in here and don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's an indication of how critical this is. So yeah, you you can tell. If you're not dedicated in this, I can sniff it out because I'm going to ask you specific questions. I'm going to drill down and ask you follow up questions. Now, this is not to say that you cannot build a PM from the ground up, but we want to at least see the effort that you took to understanding the company so you can make a difference while you're here. Because we're a startup, we're not a big company, we don't have money to just blow. So we need people that when they come here, they can make an impact quickly. Yeah, yeah. No, this, is, this is a very, very good point, right? I mean, so you're making two points. One is that as a startup, you do not have the luxury to train someone within the company. You need someone who can hit the ground running, which obviously means that you've done your background homework, you've done your research, you probably have worked as a PM before, perhaps. And so Mm -hmm. you can start having an impact from day one. And the other thing that you're talking about, specifically in the context of business school students, is perhaps there's a sense of entitlement that, okay, if I don't get my banking job or my consulting job, maybe I can take up a PM job. But it's not that easy. That's basically what you're saying, that you can't just walk into the interview and say, okay, you know, I'm interested in tech. I can do some strategy. So hire me. It doesn't work that way. Yep, Yep. exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And another thing I wanted to ask you was, so in your case, you do have a technical background. But do you think a formalized technical background is necessary to do well as a PM? I don't think it's necessary. And I've changed my my status on this over the years. When I first got in, when I first became a PM, I just really strongly felt that you had to be technical, right? That's because I used to be an engineer. Well, I'm still an engineer, but I used to be on a scrum team and either have to do testing or development, right? And when you have a a product person who doesn't want to get their hands dirty in all the intricate details, it comes off bad on you as a product manager and puts a bad taste in your mouth like this person does not get it all right 
So that's was my initial introduction to it. So I always felt that, hey, you need to have a technical background to be a PM. Now, as I progress through my career and become more mature in it, I've seen a variety of different types of PMs, right? Some that are more technical than others. And one thing that I realized is that if you have the effort and you understand the customer, then you can succeed as a PM, right? So the number one thing that you're supposed to do is understand your customer. If you take the steps to very deeply you know, talk to them, interview them, really figure out what their pain points are, you solve that problem, that's what the engineering team is actually looking for. Now you can go ahead and talk to them and say, hey, I know what this customer segment over here is looking for. This is why we need to build it like this. And then you can work on your technical skills as far as how you communicate with them and how you make sure that you understand what's going on throughout the development cycle, right? Mm. If you put forth the effort to say, hey, guys, I don't know everything. I'm actually learning. And you put forth a genuine effort. Engineers pick up on that and they will actually help you out with learning, right? You just pull them aside, ask them to explain this, and you show them that you're willing to take steps towards learning with it. Very, very rarely have I ever seen somebody who's like, don't bother me right now. You know, they will take steps to help you learn it because you're putting the effort towards doing it. The other thing, too, is that non-technical PMs, they're really good at finding out what problems the team actually have that are not technical. It's usually a communication problem and solving that Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the hardest problem is not the technical one. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of hard technical problems. But it's actually the communication problems, the making sure that things are done in the right sequence problems, making sure that things are done efficiently problems. And that's because you're missing this big communication piece. If you can solve those problems for them, create some documentation, really make their lives easier, they're going to love you and they're going to explain whatever they whatever you ask for Mm -hmm. for them. And they're going to go out of their way to get work done if you show them that effort and you solve a problem with them. So that's one of the other things that I do as far as going back to how I deal with stakeholders. So if I'm dealing with different stakeholders like an engineering team, first thing that I'm going to do is ask them, hey, what are your problems? Figure out what the biggest things are. So then if I solve them, now I've created some social cred. I have some clout with them now. I have some money in my bank account, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. So I can spend it on hey, we need to push for this release. I know it's going to take a few long nights, but hey, guys, can we get through this? And they'll say, you know what? And Kim, he did a good job over here. He's saved my butt a few times. I'll put the extra effort in for him. Mm. And it's really just like that. That's like that's a life lesson right there. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this because you're absolutely right that one, how as a PM, like I think this will be good for a lot of people to hear, especially who don't have a technical background, that you can add value in so many ways. So it's really about identifying what are the most important problems that the team is facing right now and how you can best address them. And many of them will not be technical in nature. There could be other things and you can address those. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Nick. And this was wonderful. Is, is there any other parting advice you'd like to share with anyone who's thinking about moving into product management? I would say tech is a constantly changing industry. You should try to stay as current as possible. And there's easy ways these days to do it. Listen to your podcasts, (laughs) read your blogs, get intensely interested in whatever field industry that you want to get into. And that will, your effort will show eventually, right? So Definitely do that. If you're not a product manager and you're having trouble actually getting into the position right now, do some side projects. Learn how to code a little bit. Show them that you, you know, you put this marketing uh, campaign together for this little side project that you did. And now some people are reading this blog or some people are using this or people are on your Instagram. And you can, if you can explain it correctly from a business perspective, That goes a long way because a lot of what's missing from PMs as well is the business side too. Mm -hmm. If you have a heavy tech PM 
a team, right? They're not going to have a lot of thoughts. They might not have a lot of thoughts towards the strategic side of it, right? So really hone in on those things that you think that their team might be missing and provide value in those ways rather than really trying to hammer it out in other ways that might not be effective. So honestly, it just takes effort and it takes um, you being committed. You'll crack the nut someday, but you you just got to stick with it. Yeah. I don't know. I just rambled right now, but yeah. <laughs> no, you did not. You're basically very passionate about this and that's awesome. Thank you so much, Nikam. Thanks so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Just before you leave, do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com, where we share updates on new episodes, a lot of career-oriented resources, and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website. Of course, if you have any questions at all, or if you just want to say hello, you can always email us. Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.